This time on the Roll Right Radio podcast with New York Mike. The media is covering up for a horrible administration, and they're covering up for the Democrats. They're covering up for the communists. They should be telling the truth to the American people. We talk about truth, justice, and the American way. Well, truth, which somebody said, you know, truth is the first casualty of war. Truth is huge. And I know what we talked about the other day, you and I were talking about. I hated the fact when I, I used to know somebody used to always say that truth is perspective. And I argued, I mean, we fought over the fact truth is in perspective. Reality is perspective. And there's a difference because there is a truth. There is a universal truth. And it's worth fighting and digging and finding it and, and doing whatever you have to get to the truth. He wears black denim trousers and motorcycle boots And a black leather jacket with his name on the back He does a patriotic podcast called Roll Right Radio His name is New York Mike and welcome to the show This is Roll Right Radio on New York Mike It's Roll Right Radio, rolling right with truth, justice, and the American way I love that, I'm New York Mike and I'm Petrina. Yeah, my better half. <laughs> and, and my wonderful, incredible producer. Without you, we couldn't do the show, but. Oh, right. Sure. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, stroke my ego. Keep going. I got to do something to make you smile. Yeah, it doesn't you work. Know, it doesn't work. No. You're smiling. <laughs> I am because it's funny. It's. I like when you make me laugh. Okay. So, wow. Do you believe that they found Brian Lockie's body? Yeah, they found him. I just cannot believe. Well, how do you feel about that? Because I know how I feel. Let me tell you, I feel that the parents are responsible. Like, I really do. Because I feel like they gave him, like, food and just said, just run into the woods. Look, I mean, I could be wrong, but that's my gut feeling just from everything I've heard. What happened to Gabby is disgusting. Is horrible thing. But it's, it happens all the time. And I'm, I'm trying to control myself. I don't know how many times this happens. A lot. Every day, every week, every month. I mean, it's all over the place. What happened? What did she do? He said, she said, she did, he it did. It doesn't matter at the end of the day. I didn't no, say. She could have I, punched him in the face I'm 50 not, times. I understand. But I'm just saying. It happens all the time. Yes. I it's called domestic violence. Yeah. I, I know it's called domestic violence. And, and it is the worst call that, from what I'm hearing from my friends, it's the worst call a cop can get. The last thing they want to be involved with. I agree. And we could do like a whole hour of talking about domestic violence. Exactly. That's not what I wanted to talk about. What I was saying was domestic violence is is life. It's every day. There's people that go through it and it's horrible. It's disgusting. Men are beat up. Women are beat up. It's both sexes. It's even gay people or have domestic violence, LGBT, they, everybody. Okay. In one way, shape or form. And if it's not physical, it's mental. So I get all that. The part that I cannot wrap my head around is the fact that he came back. He was home. And his parents just let him walk out the front door and go into the woods. There was parents. 
He died. Is that I what mean, they were expecting? I don't know what they were expecting. I'm, I'm, you know, they were desperate. The situation was just horrific. If he got put in jail, people would have been, you know, would have said, I'll give him the death penalty. Well, he got it. That's it. That's it. It doesn't get anything. It was karma? I think it was karma. You can call it justice. You can call it anything else. I mean, it, it's a horrible thing. But what do you think happened to the rest of his body? Do you think he got eaten by animals or something? Yeah, you know, you're out in the middle of the swamps over there. Yeah. Everything from vultures to, I, I didn't want to think about it. Yeah, it was so sad. But, you know, what, so they what? dug up four or five bodies while they were looking for his. These things happen a lot. Wow. A lot more than people want to talk about. Right. I was talking to somebody the other day, going back to riding motorcycles and going around the country and doing all this stuff. And I said to somebody who I think knows a little bit, I said, it's always fascinating to me as I ride around the country and only 5% of America is paved. You listen to these tree huggers and, you know, these environmental wackos, and they're not environmentalists, they're environmental wackos. And you would think that it's tear down the forest and put it in the parking lot. And that's not the way it is. And when you go into the backwoods, the hinterlands, you go into the swamps, you go... It's desolate, and if you're a you know human being, unless you're on naked and afraid, and you're going back there to, I mean, watch that show sometimes. Those people. Oh my are, God, I watched it once, and it freaked me out. Yeah, I mean, these people are something else. They got to live 21 days out there in the middle of. They take them to these places, and well, you know, yeah. it, well, you got to be talented. Be naked. I never understood what's the concept of being naked and more afraid. people will watch the TV show. <laughs> But I'm just saying that when you go out in, into these desolate places, horrible things can happen to you, and they do. And this guy was a skilled survivor, but I'm sure, look, whatever he did when he lost control, he blew his temper. He, I mean, I'm sure this guy died full of remorse, brokenhearted, full of remorse. He had that much remorse, I think he would have turned himself in. I, maybe. Well, if he turned himself in, God knows. I don't know if he would have gotten... Maybe in today's justice world, what, four or five years in prison? I don't know. I think his, I don't think his parents, if surviving was their goal, they wanted their kid to survive. I don't think if that was their goal, that they did him any justice. You know, I don't know how he could have lived with himself for the rest of his life, but that's his problem. I guess that's why therapists and psychiatrists and these people make all that money. But I'm sure he would have done a few years. I don't think he would have got 20 years to life. I don't know. Who knows? You know, and, and, but I don't want to see the trial. I don't want to hear this thing going on on all these TV shows. Well, I think, I mean, I don't know, but I think maybe they might charge the parents. That's what they're saying. Well, listen, if the parents aided and abetted and did what they did, that's their thing. Yeah, I know that goes on all the time everywhere. Yeah. So there's abducting of kids and human trafficking. Oh, that's huge. I mean, it's just, it's something that, you know, we don't see, we don't talk about it. How many of these kids are killed? They die. The kids just disappear. Look, when I was a kid, man, I ran away from home a Me lot. Too. I was a bad kid. I got and, a funny story about running away from home. Oh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> it's really fun. Well, it's not, I mean, now it's funny because it's forever ago. Now, we lived in Bedford, right? And yeah. It was like the nearest house was two miles away. Right. Everything was very far. And I remember running away one night and it was so scary because you had to go down the mountain to the main road in order to get anywhere. 
So I would get down the mountain, went to the end of the road, and I went to my brother's best friend's house. His name was Leaf. What was his name? Leaf. Leaf. And they were having a party. I didn't know that they were having a party, but they were having a party. And I went there, and within literally 45 minutes of being at this party, someone says, Katrina's father's here. Katrina's father's here. <laughs> I go running in the back room, get under the bed, and I hide. And I just, I'm like cringing, hiding there, right? All of a sudden, I feel my hair <laughs> being pulled and dragged through the party. Uh. And it was embarrassing, humiliating. And after running away a bunch of times, that was the final one. That was it. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, I basically lived on the streets of Brooklyn. No, is that where you're from? God, I don't think anyone knew that. No, I'm talking you're about- You're from Brooklyn? Yeah. We lived on the sixth floor. And sometimes I would walk out of the apartment, go to the staircase. You go walk up the staircase, you're on the roof. So sometimes in the summer, I just go on the roof. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Or I'd hang out sometimes in the- I don't know if you call it a vestibule. You get to that the top rung of the stairwell, and before you go out the door to the roof, if it was in the middle of winter, I didn't want to go on the roof. So I just hang out there and stay there and for a day or two. <laughs> it was kind of funny sometimes. Actually, when I was working at the stables, I stayed at the stables, and I knew they, they were looking for me. But I would just run inside, go up in the hayloft, I slept up there, and it wasn't too far from the stables to Marine Park. I used to go to Marine Park, sleep under the trees in Marine Park. Yeah, on the grass, under the trees. Sometimes I, you do what you had to do. You... I think everybody's run away at some point in their life. Well, I, th I think those I of mean, us— Listen, I think about running away every day. <laughs> well, one time I was, I was dating Ida Troopy. Oh, my God. Ida gets brought up a lot. I know. I loved her, man. It was my first real. This is the only second time I ever brought her up. I brought her up last month because her birthday is October 11th, and that's the same day I was in the newspaper. Right, right, right. Car. So I brought it up. But Where do you think she is? Oh, my God. I, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> no, but, but I'm going back to, I was 13 or 14, 14 maybe, and... She was from Miami, and her mother's sister lived in Astoria and was dating a guy who owned the White Lake Hotel right in the, in the Catskills, right there near Monticello, White Lake. What a great place. And it was, so there's a whole bunch of stories of that. But anyway, I missed her so much. <laughs> so I decided I was going to go to Miami. After the summer's over, and then I was seeing her, took the train to Astoria to see her at her, her cousin Ronnie's house, Veronica, Ronnie. So I'd go there, see her in Astoria, and I don't know, it was right off Steinway Street someplace. So she went back to Miami to go to school. We thought she was going to stay in Astoria. She was like a year or something older than me. And she ended up going back home to Miami to live with her mother. So I just got out there and hitchhiked down the Jersey Turnpike, hitchhiked down the 
Pennsylvania Turnpike into Pennsylvania. Then it was all Highway 301. There was no 95 since 1958. Go down, uh, hitchhiked all the way down to Miami. Knock on her mother's door. Oh, my God. Next thing I know, of course, what she did was contact my father. And then next thing I know, the cops picked me <laughs> back in New York. Anyway, so, I don't have any success stories, but I got to say that you go through a lot of this stuff. And back then, maybe, I don't know what it was like. I don't know how much I missed being trafficked, being kidnapped, being some, I don't know. Maybe I missed it by a hair. I have no idea looking backwards. But today, kid gets out there and they're going to get caught up in somebody's net. It's horrible. But that's what happens. Yeah. Anyway. A lot of that. And so, so those are the kind of things I think about when I think about this Brian Laundry guy and Javi Petito and, and these tragic, terrible things go on. Every single day. And that's why you, you wake up in the morning, you got to have a reason for being. You want to know that you're alive and you have a sense of what are we going to do, what are you going to accomplish. That's why you want your kids to look forward to going to school every day and learning and developing and building themselves. And you get involved in things, whether it's baseball or whether it's dancing or whether it's martial arts. You get the kids enthusiastic about being here, being home, being around, learning skills interacting with their friends and socializing. I mean, I don't see enough of that today. Am I wrong? We don't have little kids in our lives, so we don't know what kids are doing. We don't see that. Well, I mean, I see it and hear about it. My grandkids, when I had kids, I, you know, know what it was like to have the kids engaged in their lives. And so what are your grandkids doing? Huh. They're playing everything from baseball to soccer to going to dance class and all this other stuff. So it's what people do. And I'm just saying that I don't know if there's enough of that in today's world. What is creating this epidemic of kids just being trafficked as much as they are? What's behind all this? What's causing it? What's driving it? I mean, we know that this kind of lust has been out there forever worldwide, it's nothing new. What's new is this huge amount of this human trafficking that's going on. And it's disturbing and it's horrible. And I don't know why you brought up Brian Laundry. <laughs> so I brought him up because that's what everyone's talking about. I mean, it's something that we should talk about. Sometimes. Well, we're talking, everybody's talking about that guy that shot the girl on the set. What's his name? Alec Baldwin. Yeah. You know, he's, he's talking about that too. What's going on? Well, that's something that's a little bit more, I, I think that you could look at that situation and say, this guy belongs in jail. He's guilty. Who? Alec Baldwin. It was an accident. It was the, listen, when you wave a gun around on a set, I wouldn't call that an accident. And even if it was an accident. You're ready to throw him in jail. I'm ready to do triumph and negligent homicide. Let's see all the evidence. That's how I feel. I'm glad you're not a judge. Why? I just told you why, because we don't really know that it was his fault. He shot the woman. It was an accident. When you kill somebody by accident, even if it's an accident, it's still called negligent homicide. It's not, whoops, oh my God, I didn't know it was up. All right, Alex, feel bad and then go away. No, no, no. Listen, I don't think that 
nothing should happen. I mean, I think there should be something, you know, the poor woman died. She was a mother. She was a wife. And it's just, it's sad all around. But, you know, as much as I dislike him without all the facts, I don't think he should be thrown in jail. Well, I'm not throwing him in jail. I just told you how I feel. I feel like, you know, the person that shoots somebody is, is responsible. And I think that him also being the producer, it's his movie. He's the also he was the main character, wasn't he the star? And these people need to be responsible. These are the very people that, you know, tell us we, we shouldn't own guns and call us all kinds of names and think the NRA is, you know, a lobbying organization that shouldn't be allowed. They'll rant and rave about that stuff. Then they go in their little movie set and shoot each other. And, you know, what does that say? Well, you know what? I'm sorry, if you dance, you pay the piper. And as far as I'm concerned, this guy was just, pardon the pun, dead wrong. And he should pay a price. That's all. And not because oh, he's a, a lefty or a whatever. Sure it, sounds that way. I didn't mean it that way. I just gave that as an illustration of, you know, how fast he would persecute, not prosecute, persecute if it was me or any of my friends or people I know, that if, if it happened, Man, he'd be the first guy to be prosecuting us. What's a live round doing on a movie set anyway? I mean... Well, it wasn't supposed to be, right? That's right. It's his set. He should have known. So there's a lot of other things. Yeah, I think there's there. a there, lot of... There's a lot of other things in there that yeah. make me feel that this guy is, is responsible for So this. what do you think about the Nike thing? What Nike thing? You know, with the, with the basketball players... You were talking this morning on Fox about some of the basketball players were saying that Nike is making their stuff in China and it's like labor. Slave labor. Listen, I've been saying that for 35, 45 years. Nike. They're just talking about it now. Well, they're talking about it now. Welcome to the club. Play catch up with me, guys. I was saying this back when, you know, they went into Vietnam and they're making their stuff with slave labor that the North Vietnamese just making all this money and all these deals, but the, the people are getting paid pennies a day. So now it's with China. Yeah, it's the same thing. I despise Nike. I despise them for a long time. I think that basketball player that we saw who was talking about that, I'm trying to remember what the exact issue was. Or maybe we'll circle back to it. I think what we've been talking about for the last few days, we've gone from things like leadership to talking about the media. And I think those are things that are very relevant to today. And I'm not knocking what the media did with this Brian Laundry story. I'm not knocking what they're doing with the Alec Baldwin story. I'm not at all. I think it's all kind of good. But what, what's really going on today in the country, things that affect each and every one of us, you want to use human trafficking. Look what's going on down at the border. Look at the drugs coming on. Look at the fentanyl. Look at all the overdose deaths. There's so many things going on when you talk about the death. It's, it's horrible. How many overdoses? How many of these thousands of hundreds kids? Hundreds and thousands. It's what? Hundreds and yeah. thousands. Yeah, and it's a huge problem. And what are we doing about it? When this guy starts talking about China, all this fentanyl, all these drugs, all this stuff is all coming in from China. It's coming in from China. It's going down south and coming through the southern border, getting back into the States. And who's doing anything about that? But the subject today, I feel, is the media and the fact that the media is covering up for a horrible administration and 
They're covering up for the Democrats. They're covering up for the communists. They should be telling the truth to the American people. We talk about truth, justice, in the American way. Well, truth, which somebody said, you know, truth is the first casualty of war. Truth is huge. And I know what we talked about the other day, you and I were talking about. I hated the fact when I, I used to know somebody used to always say that truth is perspective. And I argued, I mean, we fought over the fact truth is in perspective. Reality is perspective. And there's a difference because there is a truth. There is a universal truth. And it's worth fighting and digging and finding it and, and doing whatever you have to get to the truth. And there's no two truths. There's no two sides. Yeah, I know. There's your story, my story, and the truth. But the truth is what counts. And it's not perspective. Your I reality. Know where the truth is. I, I want people to understand there's a difference between your reality, that's your perspective. Yes, how you see things, that's your reality. But is it the truth? Is it true to Joe Biden when he says that three point Five trillion dollars additional to everything else. So we're really talking five or six trillion dollars. Is it going to cost the American people anything? Is that true? Could that possibly be true? That's not true. And if it's not your reality, because that's your perspective, you got a serious problem. Because it's pretty elementary that raising and spending six trillion dollars. Okay, you're going to say, oh, Mike, now you're pushing it up, but it was 3.5. No, it's at least 5, because we've already approved 1.2. Now, I keep on seeing 1.9. What I knew was 1.2. Maybe I'm wrong. Now he's going to 3.5 on top of that. That's 4.7. And then you got all the money around the edges because they have all these other things attached to this bill that each one is $600 million here, $3, 2000000000 billion there. Don't forget, we're talking trillion. So there's a lot of billions in a trillion. These are huge numbers. Oh, it's not going to cost the American people. Why? Because you think that only the wealthy are going to be charged? Are you serious? They're running to their accountants. And their accountants aren't just Joey and Joey and his cousin accounting firm. We're talking about big accounting firms. We're talking about accounting firms of guys basically numbers geniuses. You're talking about the Albert Einstein of accounting. They're, that's who they go to. That's who they pay the big money to and say, okay, how do we get around this? Why? Because they have money to protect their money. They're entitled to do that. That's not a crime. They're trying to find honest ways around having to pay absorbent amounts of taxes. You don't think they pay a lot of taxes? Sure they do. I'm not really prepared and I'd like to be, but I know that the amount of dollars that was collected by the IRS during Trump's last year was bigger than what they collected at any time during the Obama administration. It was a lot of money, even though they say he had this big tax cut and they, the Democrats want to say it was a tax it was only a tax cut for the rich, and we collected a lot more money. I don't want to say it's not about the money. Of course it is. But it's also about controlling. We never want to put on how many, 80,000 auditors for the IRS? What kind of crazy number is that? Is each and every citizen going to be deemed a criminal, guilty till proven innocent? Because that's pretty much what you're talking about here. If, 
if you go to that kind of length, if you go to that extent, if you go to that extreme, that's craziness. The whole thing is out of whack and out of control. And I think those are things that we should be focusing on. There's so many news stories out there that are real. You know, what's going on with Afghanistan? I saw Jay Redmond's tweet I talked about the other day. All these Afghan special forces guys, the, the ones who are helping us, they're being abducted, they're being murdered, they're being tortured. What about when they were saying the other day on Congress about how when they took all the Americans out of Afghanistan, yeah. a lot of them weren't Americans. There was a lot of them that didn't even have passports that they just brought them over here. Well, this wasn't the Americans. By the way, today I read... They're talking, I think the number was 450 Americans left behind. 450 Americans. You know, they were saying there was like, oh, there's 57 of them. And I don't know how they knew the exact number. Anyway, they had no accounting of anything. But today I saw a number of 450. I go, that's an in insane number of Americans left behind. The ones that you're talking about, they had no way of vetting. Vetting means finding out right. who people are. Right. You know, but, going through their... But some of them didn't even have passports. I'm just saying like a... They had no way of vetting all these Afghans who were friendly to us, who helped us during the war. And there was a lot of them. Call it thousands. And what they should have done was stay in Afghanistan, keep a skeleton crew, the 2,500, which is more than a skeleton, keep Bagram Air Base, and go through and vet the people who you want to get out. It would take your time, take a year and a half. So we were there for 20 years. Now the, the process of getting out, part of that process means going and beginning the process of vetting all these Afghans that you want to get out. Once they're out and you get them to the States, it's too late. You don't know who has a, a green card, somebody that had a, a visa that allowed them to come out because they helped us as an interpreter or any of the other hundred ways of, of helping us while we're there. We didn't do that. So we bring all these people out. Someone said, well, it was 124,000. They got out in the last few weeks, and they want to bring them to wherever, and they bring a bunch of them here, and now how do they vet them? Where do they put them? What do they do with them? How do we know which ones are the good guys, which ones are the bad guys? What percentage of how many are terrorists? What percentage are this is like I'm a scared to find out. Of course it is. That's just part of the debacle that this Biden administration did. I know the generals, they told Biden, well, you know, you need to do a little more than that. I get it. We're a country that, you know, is ruled by civilians, and the civilian is going to be the commander in chief. I get it. But when someone is making this big a mistake, you're a Freaking general, you're an admiral. This isn't just sitting there in the classroom and, and the teacher's doing something wrong and you're a student and you, oh, I can't, I'm not going to say nothing. If I tell the principal, I'm going to be in big trouble. You got to be able to step up, stand up, talk about it. There's something that had to be done. What happened was wrong and it's wrong from the top, which is, of course, the commander in chief, that's by all the way down. And through that chain of command to the Pentagon. After that, the troops are just the troops. But I think that what's been going on is just horrible. But where's the newspapers? So they're left-wing. So they're Democrat. They're still American. They're my countrymen.
Why can't they tell the truth? Why can't they expose the truth? Left or right, what's the difference? You got to go in there and expose the truth. One of the things I really want to talk about, because it's important to get it out, it's also up to us. Biden could say, nope, we're giving up Bagram, and we're going to give them all the weapons, and we're taking the troops out first, and we're not going to vet the people. It's just the date is August 31st. You're a general. You're responsible for that. And the head of the Department of Defense, Lloyd Austin, he was a general. Now he's the Secretary of Defense. These people have responsibilities. Thank God we're not in a shooting war right now. But we see what's going on with Russia. We see what's going on with China and Iran. We got to be prepared and ready for it. And you got to be able to somehow step up to your commander in chief say, don't give up Bagram. You got to be able to do that. And they weren't able to do that. They did not have the will. They did not have the will to do their jobs to protect the people of the United Why? States. I honestly don't know. But somehow we seem to have lost the will, which is so important. We're the king of the jungle. You can say the lion's the king of the jungle, the lion's, the tiger's, the elephant. We've conquered it all. Human beings. Just, you know, little guys back in the day, the average guy back four or 5,000 years ago was maybe, what, five foot two or three, weighed 110 pounds, soaking wet, but they were able to make tools, create weapons, throw spears, you know, build fires, make things happen. Human beings, when you have the will to do it, you can overcome anything. You could do anything. It's amazing. We only use 10% of our brain power. So there's so much more there. The human brain. Imagine how much we think today of computers. Oh, these great computers, AI, artificial intelligence, and what we could do with it, robots. Human beings have had that ability. From the very first day, we just never figured out how to use it. And we still don't. You know, all this time, we're building machines to do the things that we've always been able to do, but we can never figure out how to do it. It's almost comical. But you have to have the will. If you have the will, you could do anything. A human being has that capability within ourselves. And that's what it takes. So what does it take for Mark Miley or, or Lloyd Austin or any of their you know, staff members to say something's wrong and we're going to fix it? Bring the president in. Let me have a meeting. We want a meeting. Do something. Make something happen. They didn't want it to happen. Lloyd Austin was more concerned about the white nationalists, people who were white, quote unquote, white supremacists. He's more about that than about being prepared for war. And, and I'm shocked that Miley just went right along with it. And he said, yeah, I want to know more about white rage. What are you talking about? You know you're only saying that because your boss is putting it out there. What kind of punk are you? You're supposed to be a four-star general. You've got a ranger tab on your arm. You've been to combat. You've got medals and bronze stars. How do we lose someone like that to looking at and saying, yeah, I want to find out about white rage. Oh, Afghanistan? Well, no, we told Biden. We, 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 what? That's not leadership. Imagine the guy in China, the head general going up against Xi. Yeah, that'd be tough. But you know what? They do it. They do it. 
they suck it up and they say, we can't do this or we can't or we should do something different. That's what you do. And obviously, the commander-in-chief who has not listened, nobody made him listen. Nobody said, you're not going to do this, sir. You can't leave that. You can't. And you know what, Petrina? I know you said to me, I shouldn't put Baldwin on trial before I know the facts. And maybe I shouldn't put these people on trial before I know the facts. But you know what? John's dead. I don't care who shot John. John's dead. And I'm looking at this and I'm going, something happened here. This situation in Afghanistan happened. We lost 13 of our finest citizens when we shouldn't have. We lost $85 billion of weaponry. We lost our dignity. We lost our way. Don't tell me. It wasn't Austin. It wasn't Miley. It was. They're in charge. That's their job. That's their responsibility. Biden's the commander-in-chief. I get it. He's culpable. The buck stops there. But we don't want it to happen again. Not this time and not next time. And we want to know how that happened. Where is that? Where is the will of the leaders in this country? to find the truth, to put it out there, to put to fall on your sword and do what has to be done for the better interest of this country. That's your job. That's your career. That's your life. That's your legacy. Where's the will? I got a, a kind of a funny story because we're talking about will. This is important. And First, it, it, before you tell the story, I just want to say thank you for reeling me back in. Because oh. this was the first time that you had to reel me in instead of me reeling you in. And thank you, because I, I needed you to do that. I'll reel you in any time. I think I railed you in. Or I railed you and railroaded you. Yes, so you I want to tell the story. A long time ago, I think it was in the 1990s, and I was doing talk radio. I was doing the Hedgecock show and this show, and on AM 760. Mark Lawson's radio, and there were some other great, great guys on that station. There still is, I guess. I, I don't listen that much. I'm so absorbed with Sirius Radio and Fox and all that stuff. But Joe Bauer was on 760, Hudson and Bauer. This is San Diego stuff. Everybody else out there, well, I'm sorry. Anyway, so G. Gordon Liddy, his show, which, which broadcast out of Washington, D.C., I believe, was carried on 760 here in San Diego. And G. Gordon Liddy was coming out and he was doing a fundraiser for his son who was running for Congress. And his son, interestingly, lived in Arizona. So I, I don't know, put all the pieces together. Anyway, he's coming out. He's running for Congress. If anybody remembers G. Gordon Liddy, he's the guy from Watergate who pleaded guilty. He was a tough guy, a tough character, man. He really was. And, and so... I get a call from somebody that G. Gordon Liddy wants to know if I could get him an escort of Hell's Angels to escort him to this house in Rancho Santa Fe that's doing this fundraiser with G. Gordon Liddy. So I said, yeah, of course. And I, and I called O.B. Dave. O.B. Dave was just this fabulous guy, big guy. Oh, I remember him. Remember Dave? Yeah. Oh, my God. I miss him. I really do miss him. He passed about 
it's been a year and a half. It's almost two years. Like right during COVID. I think right before, maybe. Like right at the beginning. Of yeah. Oh, what a great guy. And he was doing, I mean, he life was good. He was living in Julia with that great girlfriend he had. She's fabulous. Anyway, I call Obi Dave. And I, he goes, yeah, of course. I said, really? He goes, yeah, Mike, no problem. G. Gordon Liddy, absolutely. So we were followed by a helicopter. Ten Hells Angels came down. G. Gordon Liddy, his limousine drives up to San Diego, Harley Davidson. The bikes, we all get lined up on each side of the car and a couple behind them. And we escort his limo. From San Diego, Harley, to some really ritzy house up there in Rancho Santa Fe. So we get up there, and G. Gordon Liddy gets out of the car. The owner of the house comes out. There's a whole bunch of high-level people who are putting up a lot of money to get to spend a little time with G. Gordon Liddy. And Obi walks up, and all these Hells Angels, there was eight of them. And the eight guys come walk up. And Dave kind of looks like, okay, I'm going to go now. I hope we did a good job. And Gordon goes, no, 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 you're coming in with us, which is what I expected. And he just brings everybody in the house and these heavyweight, heavy-duty people. And there was like 50 of them in this house was big, gorgeous, with a big old pool. I remember there was a piano in the living room. The living room was was a 1,500-foot living room. You know? I was big. It was beautiful. So the the host of the house, when they were very gracious, brought them food if they wanted a drink and, and you know, whatever they needed, and they were very nice to them. But they're all, you know, kind of, we're on our own, just hanging around. The motorcycles are outside, and there's the whole look of what in the hell is going on here. For those of you who don't know, Rancho Santa Fe is like the gross point or the highest level expensive homes in all of San Diego. So here we are, and the fundraiser starts. And they auction off one item, and someone's going to, you know, someone's like, I'll give you $1,000, and they auction off another item. And there's a couple of speeches that are made. And then G. Gordon auctions off his book. What's the name of his book? Will. He wrote that book. Will. If you ever want to read a great book on how to self-motivate, how to make things happen, overcome anything. Me. I want to read it. Read that book. (laughs) Will. 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 Do you have it? Is it up in your collection? It's in my books. It's okay. in my library. I'll have to go. And it's signed by G. Gordon Liddy, by the way, and O.B. Dave. Anyway, Gordon Liddy gets, and there's a couple of bids, and there's another couple. And all of a sudden, there's O.B. Dave. Whatever they were bidding, and I don't remember the number. If someone said 300, he'd go 350. <laughs> really? So, yeah. O.B. Dave. And you got to know, O.B. Dave was a big guy, six foot two, six foot whatever, 250, solid as a rock. And then just a, He's a sweet guy. What a sweet, smart guy. I got to say this about O.B. too, and I wish I said it at his funeral. I didn't, and I've been ashamed of myself for not stepping up and saying at that memorial service that when I started San Diego Harley Davidson and I needed help with he was- computers, man, O.B. was there. I mean, he was there. Just as a friend, there was never a charge. Never, and I'm talking about hours and days that he gave me and my staff wow. helping us with the whole computer thing. Anyway, so Opie gets his book. 
He outbids all these nobody. And of course, people I think got the hint. Okay, cut it. That's it. Obi is getting the book. Don't go any higher. And he gets the book and he goes up. And his all these people are like, wow, what's going on? And he goes up and there's G. Gordon Liddy and calls him up. He says, hey, here's the book, man. That's pretty cool. You really wanted this book. Obi said, yeah, I read that book in prison. It got me through it. Oh, you're kidding. Oh, my God. I can't remember the words. He made this little. But it was really. It was from the heart from him. G. Gordon Liddy. Wow. Two of them right there. Because G. Gordon Liddy spent some time in prison after. And he spent $350. I, it was a lot of money. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because, they, you know, they were all bitten until they yeah. realized that, wait a minute, this guy wants his book. And that's a great story. That's a great story. And that was the, that's the name of the book is Will. Will. By G. Gordon Liddy. And you want to read a great book. And if a book was able to motivate and inspire a guy like O.B. Dave to get through, it'll inspire you. Really? That's it. All right. That's a great way to end. You got it. Thank you so much. That was great. <laughs> thank you again for reeling me back in. <laughs> and thank you for subscribing. Do you subscribe? I do subscribe. You do subscribe? I do. Hey, by the way, what's our Instagram? Instagram is RollRightRadio21. RollRightRadio21. Yes, that's okay. Instagram. Facebook is RollRightRadio. And, you know, you follow us. And roll right. Subscribe. Thanks for listening, guys. Remember, it's truth, justice, and the American way. Roll Right Radio, we're out. Thanks for listening to the Roll Right Radio podcast. Listen, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.